0: Welcome everyone. Welcome to Dangerous Thoughts on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. Fire up your keyboards. Pour yourself some scotch, whatever you do. Uh, We are in for a doozy tonight. It is, I don't know, October 20th. Wednesday, October 20th. Uh, While we're waiting for some people to stream in, I will point out the obvious. Yes, we're waiting for a baby. No that baby does not seem to be particularly interested in our schedule, so here we sit here we sit uh I will I will shout out and thank um uh, Brian. I don't want to say his last name because I don't think he uses his full name in the credits, but he's one of our supporters. He just sent us one of these uh, <laughs> these little bibs future entrepreneur uh my wife and I thought that was uh. Pretty good considering you know he only watches the show and I don't know how often we talk about it but my wife and I are both lifetime entrepreneurs that's all we ever do so uh, yeah <clears throat> the baby cannot type yet no not cannot type yet Judson but soon I'm I, there's a we're gonna have to have a conversation after the birth because there seems to be a, a, a deplorable lack of of interest in punctuality but you know I'll save that for for another one um, In for a doozy. I better deliver if I make such a boast. Well, a doozy is not necessarily good. It just could be like a big, big giant turd. So anyway, I don't think it'll be a turd. I think it'll be good. Uh, I'm particularly interested in this and I'm, I I will say I'm really enjoying these conversations because, uh, they're helping me clarify. Once you have to articulate something, it helps you really clarify your thoughts. Anyway, as we're waiting for people to come in, I will remind you, we have a new policy at unsafe space. The subscribe button is mandatory. Um, so uh, you, are, you are required to subscribe. And if you don't subscribe, you are literally killing uh, grandma. So don't forget to do that. Also, we are streaming right now on YouTube, but as always, we're on unsafespace.com. Please go there first. That's usually the place to go. The only problem with it is you can't do super chats from unsafespace.com yet. Uh, but we're also on Utreon and Odyssey. If you wanna do Super Chats, yeah, go to YouTube. We do appreciate Super Chats, so if that's your, if that's your thing, go do that. But um, we are also on Utreon and Odyssey, and hopefully we'll get some alternate chat stuff going so that we can uh, be a little bit more robust. But regardless of where we get banned or when we get suspended, or you know, you know, sometimes Susan suspends our channel from YouTube for a period, we're always on unsayspace.com, so that's the where that's the place to go. Thank you to everyone who already is there and supports the show and likes our content and th- all the financial supporters. So I appreciate that, and everyone who buys merch. So all that stuff helps us continue keep this thing going. All right, I'm gonna. No, it's not a beer. To I know it's a like a lefty drink, right? It's a yerba mate. This is I'm like secretly a commie at a yerba mate. I'm embarrassed. <sighs> what if we already have unsafe space antibodies? That is fake news, Michelle. So uh, I'm pretty sure the science says that doesn't count. So uh, before we jump into this week's show, I want to I say one thing about last week. Uh, and um, yeah, it's just because I'm a stickler for completeness um one thing i last week's show we talked about what's so great about western civilization and i went through a whole process i'm not gonna go not gonna go into that again you can go watch it um but but one thing i forgot to add there's an important point i forgot to add and i wrote it in a comment that's pinned under the show i'm just gonna read that comment right now and leave it and we'll go on It says, one more point I forgot to add regarding the identification of essential values. After finding differentiators exemplified by your best example country, for example, the United States, you can then select a small group of similar countries, maybe others you considered as potential best examples, and repeat the process asking yourself, what are some common founding values among this group of countries that are different compared to all other countries in the world throughout all of history? This can be expanded outward with larger groups, Centered around that concept of best until you finally get to the other question that I mentioned, which is what values do all successful cultures have. So, uh, sorry for getting to mention that intermediate step there. I skipped over that intermediate step, and for completeness, I want to throw it out there. If you're actually studying and thinking about this stuff, or you know, planning your giant magnum opus about how I'm wrong, you will need to address that point as well. So, what's next? Unsafe boosters? Yeah, Flyboy. Um, Well, look. It's just it's two weeks to flatten. (laughs) It's two weeks to flatten our subscriber curb. Actually, we're not trying to flatten it, so it's kind of opposite. We're trying to. It's two weeks to bring the subscriber curb up. But once it's to a level that's the correct level and the and the reasonable level that science says it should be at, then obviously this will be all taken care of. Okay. So uh, tonight's topic. It's actually. um, Should really. It comes from a question that someone asked, and um, it's actually related to a couple things. The question wasn't related to these things in the news, but they're kind of related, and I just want to point them out so that you're aware of the current state of uh, (laughs) the financial industry. (laughs) Uh, What's going on at the Feds? Uh, The first one is, I don't know if you missed this. You may have seen this. This is... couple, maybe a week or two ago. Um, remember when the Feds were, remember when the government was worried about the debt ceiling and we you know, needed to pass some legislation to allow us to borrow more money from your great grandchildren? Well, there was a solution that was waiting in the wings, which wasn't talked about a lot, but uh, the treasury was like, well, you know, guys, <laughs> the treasury secretary was like, we could just print a platinum coin that says it's a trillion dollar value. That's a solution, and they were ready to go. There's this. I'm not going to read this article. Doesn't matter. But the, you know, the U.S. Mint uh, said, "Hey, look, we already have blank stock of Platinum Eagle. All we got to do is change the numbers." So uh, even if Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has no intention of minting such a coin, there's no reason for her not to quietly instruct the Mint Director to take these steps a day or two in advance. So you know, after the whole the sky is falling, oh my God, uh, the Republicans are not going to let us. Expand the money supply because that's obviously the wrong thing to do. So therefore we want to do it uh, It turns out you can do it. Um, you just <laughs> they had a backup plan this whole time. They had a backup plan um, And the other kind of related thing and you'll see why it's related in a minute. I'm gonna put this on your radar uh, Jenny uh, not Jenny <laughs> uh, Powell uh, it, Who is the Who's Powell is, is she the Treasury Secretary? I guess yeah, no, Janet Yellen is the... Tre- I don't know. Yeah. Powell's the Pre- Treasury Secretary? I don't remember. I thought Yellen was the Fed Reserve. Maybe Powell's the Federal Reserve. And Yeah. Anyway, Powell... Yeah, Powell's the Fed Reserve person. Powell says... She says that... Uh, or he says that... Um, they're going to do a report on CBDCs coming soon. They're investigating CBDCs. Just so you know... Uh, CBDC is a crypto, it's a perversion of cryptocurrency. We can talk about it a little bit, but that's that's something they're into right now, kind of paying attention to the cryptocurrency world. So this is gonna bring us to our topic. Well, n- not our topic. It's a roundabout way to get to our topic, but it's the question that came from Richard. Um, and the question from Richard was, if Bitcoin had existed at the time of the founding fathers, what, if any, difference do you think it might have made? Now, I presume he means in how they founded the country, you know, not, I don't know, technical differences or whatever. So, obviously, I can't answer, no one knows the answer to this. This is all speculation at this, and, and I'm not an expert at the founding of the nation, but based on what we know, Let's just go, let's review what we know. Um, The two sides of the kind of central banking question at the time were Hamilton and Jefferson. Hamilton was a nationalist. They called them Federalists, but today, uh, I mean, you know, the the proper term is a nationalist, really. He was a nationalist. Um, He was a disciple of a Philadelphia businessman, uh, Robert Morris, uh, who was a defense contractor during the Revolutionary Revolutionary War and hamilton agreed with morris's arguments points about uh the need for a strong central government which was modify uh, um um modified a modified version of a uh, modeled after i guess uh european mercantilism because you know a lot there's already a lot of states in europe that had some form of merc- mercantilism and he wanted something similar this morris guy and and hamilton Uh, Being young and probably the AOC of the founding fathers, uh, he wanted—sorry, I know that's insulting. Maybe some of you like Hamilton. He wanted a uh, strong president or king as a chief executive. Uh, This is the nationalism in him, right? He wanted the federal power to tax and, and put the public into debt. He wanted to be able to regulate and subsidize domestic manufacturers. I'm sure totally unrelated to his relationship with a defense contractor who made money as a manufacturer. Um, he wanted a big Navy to open up uh, and subsidize foreign markets and trade with, uh, get, get foreign uh, American exports out. He wanted national, um, like massive public works money. And he felt that a central bank was necessary for all that. He thought the US needed cheap credits to uh, to do all this. And so you needed a central bank. That was Hamilton's position. Now on the other side, as you might have guessed, was Thomas Jefferson, famous anti-federalist. Um, now Jefferson, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw, New York City is moving a statue. This is an aside. Sorry, I, I can't help myself. I'm in a mood today. It might be long because I'm just in a mood. I'm going to do old man things like go off on tangents. Um, do you see that new york city was moving um a, a thomas Jefferson statue because uh, he was a slave owner and um there's a little bit of a stink about it. at least they're not destroying it but they're moving it I, this by the way is an example to me of something that i think is an important uh, fallacy to notice so i want to point this out this is a failure of people to essentialize right um, I, in this case, I think it's a, it's intentional, but this is a, what I would call a misessentialization. It's an, an intentional failure to properly essentialize Thomas Jefferson. Right? We do not celebrate Thomas Jefferson. But it, if you don't know, he literally wrote the Declaration of Independence. Right? He's he's one of the most badass, one of the one of the best founding fathers. Um, we don't celebrate Thomas Jefferson as opposed to other people because he was a slave owner, right? There were plenty of tobacco farmers from Virginia and other states who were slave owners, uh, and even plenty that were involved in politics. Um, The essential characteristic that makes Thomas Jefferson worth celebrating, that makes him worth revering is not the common sins that he shared with other people at the time that were widespread but the differentiating factor about thomas jefferson which is that he wrote a brilliantly principled document that kicked off the rebellious war against england and he was and he served as a president and he was very and and his role as i just mentioned even in the washington administration he he worked for Washington, he posed this federal central bank. He was a, he was a prominent anti-federalist and he was one of the, the key figures in the founding of America and one of the most principled despite his errors, which again, were common. So to take a figure like Thomas Jefferson and to say the essential characteristic about Thomas Jefferson is that he was a slave owner is, is just pure hogwash, right? It's just, it's, I think it's intentional but at the very least, it's a gross error. It's a gross error to do that. Anyway, we can move on, so that's what, that's what they're doing. So, um, Therese, you said my, my tan- you like my tangents, but you're older than me. Well, I'm catching up. I guess not, that's not how it works. Um, all right, some days I just feel older than others, Therese. So, so, So here's Hamilton at the Times, at the founding, making all these arguments, Um, pushing for a central bank. And Jefferson, of course. Now, Jefferson, let's look at how Jefferson viewed this stuff. Jefferson was opposed to a national bank in particular, uh, as you might expect. He says the Bank of the United States is one of the most deadly hostilities existing against the principles and form of our Constitution. He argued vehemently that a central bank, a bank of the United States, was unconstitutional he said there's no place in the constitution that grants the power for the government to have a central bank therefore it's unconstitutional now again jefferson in my view was not necessarily perfect he also i think he had a an uh irrational skepticism of banking in general uh not just central banking, like there's there's a few quotes we can say. He, one is he says, I sincerely believe that banking establishments, he's not saying public, banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies and that the principle of spending money to be paid by posterity under the name of funding is but swindling futurity on a large scale. It's a beautiful quote and it's, it's important quote uh, to understand there is danger in borrowing against the future uh, certainly now when he says f- swindling futurity I guess if you're thinking future generations it's kind of that necessarily implies some sort of public debt in which case this the statement would be about public banking or, or national banking and not private banks in which case I, I would support it even more not really clear what he meant there but he also just didn't like the idea of credit as such and I think you know there's there's reasons to have some skepticism of credit certainly we we are in a in a country in which americans uh live way too much on credit and it's massively dangerous and we've we've sold our souls and our futures and and he's right about that however credit is also how uh you know you can't build modern functioning industrial society without credit you need lines of credit to increase manufacturing You need to borrow money to start businesses like that's just credit is it's extremely important it's how people who don't already have a billion dollars start a company So, um, but he didn't like, he didn't like it. Um, He didn't like credit generally. He says, I owe it, I own it to be my opinion that good will arise from the destruction of our credit. I see nothing else which can restrain our disposition to luxury and to the change of those manners which alone can preserve Republican government. Now again, if he's talking about public credit, like then I would agree with him. Um, But then he kind of goes on and, and talks about people's psychological, problems with with credit and i think he's right that is a that is a psychological danger but i would say he probably was a little bit more anti-banking generally uh, but definitely had the anti-national bank thing going on so what happened in this argument well hamilton won the argument uh washington signed the law to establish the first national bank hamilton won the argument by citing article 1 section 8 of the constitution and said well there are implied powers here he's the guy who, who opened up that wedge into the constitution well there's there's a bunch of implied powers it doesn't say we can do this but it says we can do reasonable stuff for whatever it says necessary to function therefore boom everything fits through that door um and washington was you know wrongly persuaded by this uh Now, look, eventually that bank's charter expired. There's kind of a tumultuous relationship with central banks and it kind of several aborted attempts and variations over the years until the Federal Reserve was founded in 1913. So let's get back to the Bitcoin question. Bitcoin, for those of you who don't understand it too much, I'm not going to get into Bitcoin uh, technically, but it's decentralized. There's no central control over Bitcoin and it can't issue new currency arbitrarily. It's limited. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins in the world, minus the stuff I lost on a usb drive years ago and i'm sure other people right so there's only 21 million bitcoins in the world that's it there only ever will be we're not we haven't mined all of them yet we were close so i think we have a couple millions ago uh so that's it You can't you can't just and there's no central control um and since it's a digital economy i think bitcoin kind of implies all the bitcoin derivatives like ethereum and that kind of stuff so you're going to end up with things that maybe jefferson is skeptical of you're going to end up with derivatives like nfts and simple debt and even really cool things like digital autonomous organizations you're going to end up with all this kind of stuff some of which i imagine jefferson will be a little skeeved by but none of this under government control that that's what bitcoin would be so what if bitcoin existed at the time well you know, Jefferson certainly liked the idea of keeping power, the power of currency out of the hands of the government. So I think he would have been into Bitcoin um, in that sense. He, he probably would have been skeptical, like I said, about the, the derivatives. Um, and he was generally nervous about currency speculation. So he would probably not be one of the people jumping in saying, like, let's all invest. And, you know, Bitcoin's volatility would probably give him a heart attack um, it's because he didn't like currency speculation. So, you know, he'd be probably nervous about that, but he would certainly have preferred it to the, the central bank. Um, he, he might actually even have argued, for, I don't know, I can't tell because I'm not a Jefferson expert, but he might actually even have tried to argue for some type of regulation, maybe not federal, maybe even just principles that he was arguing for that people should, should use to self-regulate or, or state governments. But he he definitely had ideas about how banks should be run. He thought bank uh, directors should be rotated frequently and that kind of stuff. so he might have been you know he might have had his qualms. that said, if Bitcoin existed at the time, some of his skepticism about uh, the derivatives of currency may uh, he may have been able to talk be talked out of because you can see you know firsthand uh, some of the benefits um, so. All right. So Hamilton, what would Hamilton have thought of Bitcoin? Well, uh, clearly he would have hated Bitcoin, right? No government control, they can't print money. Uh, he probably would have liked that you can track trans, uh, transactions in Bitcoin. He, he probably would have liked the secure ledger. Um, and he probably would have wanted extensive government regulation so that they, the government get the maximum use out of it and, and do all that stuff. So the question of what would have happened, well, I'm not trying to be a cynic, but I think Hamilton's implied powers argument would have still been successful. I think Hamilton would have used Bitcoin as an inspiration to create a government controlled digital currency. He would have said, well, the implied powers give us the flexibility to create this. It's trackable. Um, And I think that's the direction he would have gone. if he wasn't successful with the implied powers argument, um, or he wasn't successful kind of usurping Bitcoin, I'll say, like if he, if he wasn't successful in like taking it over and, and making it trackable and blah, 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 he, he still would have, I think he would create a new one. I think he would just have created, he would have been on the side of the people who want the, the CBDC, right? The central bank digital currencies, which is not cryptocurrency, it's more Edward Snowden calls it crypto fascist currency which I I agree with that characterization of it, right? Um, It's the kind of currency where instead of being decentralized, it's like China has done this, other countries have started to do this. It's the currency of a surveillance state. Instead of being decentralized, the government's literally involved in every transaction. So you don't hold the coin. If you go to the store to buy something and the government doesn't want you to buy it, they can deny the purchase because they hold the coin in your name. They, instead of disintermediation, which is what you get with um, actually even paper currency, uh, where there's, there's not a third party involved, um, you get intermediation. You get a third party, i.e. the government involved. So I think probably Hamilton would have gone down that path. Maybe he would have been successful in his arguments. Um, the only question here is what would have saved us is maybe not Bitcoin itself, but the culture and attitude of people if a Bitcoin economy was already successful and functioning. Uh, Maybe you would have a culture of people that were more resistant to uh, interventional policies, interventional monetary policies, and intervention in the economy in general. And maybe, maybe in that culture, the Article 1, Section 8, implied powers argument wouldn't have worked in this way. I'm sure it would have eventually worked, because there's always reason for someone to drive a truck through that. But, um, you know, maybe the culture would have been, uh, maybe the culture would have been, resistant enough to this kind of stuff because of the bitcoin culture but that's about as much as i can think about like i don't know obviously i don't know the answer that's about as much as i've thought about it uh i'm curious to guy what you guys think Uh, like let me know uh what you guys think about this what it would have been but that's uh judson says bitcoin hit a all new all-time high last night. Where is it? I haven't even looked. Uh, well, it's 65 now. Wow. Yeah, nice stuff. It's good. All right. So. Now is the time to roll your sleeves up. We're going to get into our topic tonight. <clears throat> um, and it's also inspired by a few people who have been Wanting me to talk about this. Uh, a Moral Pancake, <laughs> funny username, uh, has commented on this kind of stuff. There he is. Uh Pancake said, I'd imagine if he couldn't graft off the currency or outright send the taxman to collect it, he would have moved on to mouse style commodity confiscation so he could sell them abroad. He might have, although, yeah, he, he might have, although all he would have to do is declare, he would have to just dis- think about what you do you declare one of these um, central banking crypto fascist currencies, you make a CBDC, and then you say, uh, and and you imply the powers to tax, which he liked that, right? So you do that. And then you say, uh, in order to pay the tax, you have to pay it in CBDC. That's the, that's the form of the tax payment Um, that forces a market for CBDC, because it's the only way you can pay your taxes and prevent men with guns from coming and taking your stuff, therefore you have to buy it, therefore there's a market for it, which is an artificially created market, and um, that's how you get that rolled out. Um, I, can, I can imagine he would do that. All right, so the topic today, like I said, Beverly wanted me to talk about this, and Moral Pancake talked about this a little bit, uh, is principles. I wanna talk about principles, and, and it's, it's kind of broad, and so therefore, don't worry, we're not gonna cover everything there is to say about principles uh, all at once. But let's, let's start, I'm gonna go to a little bit different format than normal, but let's start with what we always do, which is the Oxford English Dictionary. Let's take a look at the Oxford English Dictionary. All right, now let's start by looking, I, this, this is helpful sometimes to look at the etymology OED has pretty good etymology and we can see if you want by the way for all these definitions you can go down first use of it in this context was here first use of it in this context was here you got citations and stuff but you can get a summary of the etymology up at the top and it says French principi fundamental concept in a science Origin, source, or rule of conduct. Fundamental source from which something proceeds. So if you look if you look through these, you, you find that principles did kind of start out as this idea that it's the origin or source of something. The origin or source. Um, and then it kind of later evolved, and then this, this fundamental truth used as the basis of further reasoning kind of evolved to that. So those are the kind of two themes, it's kind of source, and then it's this kind of fundamental truth. That's kind of where where this came from. Now, there's a bunch of different definitions, but if you look at the first, the the way OED is classified is there's there's different definitions, but they kind of organize by theme. So this first theme, definition one is in this first theme, which is origin source or source of action, right? That first theme, if you look at it, you see the definition. Um, very clearly related to this, this origin source theme. That from which something originates or is derived, the source and origin, the root of a word, now chiefly in philosophy and theology. And there's some examples. Um, now the second sense, I'm gonna skip down to the second sense here, uh, which starts with definition free three. Um, the second sense is fundamental truth or law motive force. And let's just look at a couple of these because it's helpful to look at um, there's some similarities here 3a a fundamental truth or proposition on which others depend a general statement or tenet forming the basis of a system of belief primary assumption forming the basis of a chain of reasoning that's a cool phrase a chain of reasoning okay if you look at 3c um first principle we can skip that In science, we hear this used, a general or inclusive statement about an aspect of the natural world that has numerous special applications or is applicable in a wide variety of cases, frequently with distinguished word or words, right? Okay, so principles of blah, blah, blah probably, okay? Or whatever, you know, uh, the particular type of principle, right? For a guide to action, this is going to be important as well. A general law or rule adopted or professed as a guide to action. A settled ground or basis of conduct or practice. A fundamental motive or reason for action. A personal code of right action. Rectitude, honorable character. Frequently in the plural, so principles. So you say he has principles. You mean a personal code of right action. So that's what you're talking about. Now at this point in the conversation, usually what we do is now I, I break this into, okay, what are the, what's the genus and species, right? I say this concept is part of the broader category of blankety blank as distinct from other concepts in this category by blankety blank, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch the show that's it's called Ducks Are Not Rocks. I talk about um, definitions in this way. And usually after I go through the OED, that's what we do. But instead, before we do that, I'm gonna do that at the end of the show this time. before we do that, what I wanna do um, is I wanna talk more in depth about what principles are so that we can better understand how the need for them arises, uh, and then we'll place them in the hierarchy. Um, because I think I think it's very important, especially because a lot of times in political discussions, uh, it, by the way, someone just asked if this is live. This is live, yes, uh, it is live. So, um, a lot of times in political discussions or moral discussions people will talk about the world principle, but they uh, maybe, maybe don't know exactly what they mean by that. So, because <sighs> you see a lot of conflicting principles out there. Now I've said this before but let's just go over this part again a little bit again relatively quickly man man humans humans are not instinctual animals not primarily I mean we we have instincts clearly but we can't live by instinct purely right an animal an animal lives by basically uh the the supervisory process of an, an of an animal is pretty small. I mean, there can be some complex calculations going on if it's a tiger chasing a gazelle or whatever, but or a lion chasing a gazelle. But um, the the kind of overarching processing is pretty pretty weak. It's 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 basically have an impulse, do it. Right? You have an impulse to breed, breed. You have an impulse to fight, fight. You have an impulse to eat, eat. You have an impulse to sleep, sleep. You know, maybe go find a spot under a tree to sleep, but nature guides an animal automatically. The animal can't act against its nature, An animal can't decide to self-destruct. It can't say, well, I'm hungry, right? A lion doesn't say, well, I'm really hungry. There's no reason for me to not get up and eat the gazelle that's right there. I could jump on the gazelle and eat it. There's no negative consequences. I'm just not gonna, you know, I think I look a little bit fat or I've been, you know, What an animal just doesn't, doesn't have to make that decision. Um, similarly, the gazelle doesn't say, well, I'm being chased by a lion. I'm, you know, not today. I'm just gonna get eaten. Uh, animals don't wake up in the morning to plan their days. Uh, they, I function automatically, uh, I think, People usually uh, casually say they're kind of they function for their own survival. That's sort of true. I think in the technical biological sense, they function. They're an organized. They they're like they're an organized functional DNA propagation machine, right? If you read The Selfish Gene, you understand a little bit more about how genetics play a role. And the lion's goal is really to propagate his genes. Not conscious goal, but he's a gene propagation factory. And sometimes there will be what appears to be altruistic behavior in the animal kingdom, but it always end results in a greater probability of the propagation of the genes uh, of the species, uh, and particularly the genes closest to that animals. So animals can operate on this preconceptual, rudimentary concept kind of level maybe you know just women the moment they have nothing they don't have to plan their day ross says his ex-wife's cat plans to murder him and with exception of cats clearly ross uh they do plan evil for decades okay so uh but humans you know animals yeah humans can act against their nature right Animals, right, so Judson, by the way, is saying there might be some kind of proto-consciousness in smart animals. That's why I said a rudimentary concept level instead of pre-concept. Like maybe you could argue there's some kind of rudimentary, but there, but it is automatic nevertheless, right? There's not planning. They don't wake up and plan their day or their their year. They live by impulse. So in that respect, animals have an advantage. They don't have to bother with planning, but man, humans are burdened by choice. Humans are conceptual beings. Nature does not tell us automatically what we should do. If you tried to live like an animal in everything you did, you would find that it's basically impossible. And if you you don't believe me, I invite you now go strip your clothes off, go get naked. is this kind of show. Go get naked um, and go out into the woods and wait until you're hungry uh, and then, you know, go find something to eat and catch it and eat it. Uh, and when when it gets a little bit cold, find a place to sleep, find a shelter. Um, you might find at the end of this that you're kind of weak and slow. Uh, your hands and feet might get cut up. Uh, you probably will get sick if you don't cook what you eat and you don't have an intrinsic cooking instinct so you can't just cook. You don't have an instinct to cook. You have to n- learn how to cook. You have to learn how to build the fire. You can't automatically build the fire. You don't, there's not a fire instinct, right? Uh, Or maybe you say, well, I'm vegan. I don't have to chase animals. I can just eat the grass, okay? Go eat plants. Without learning anything about biology, go eat plants. You will probably starve, possibly poison yourself. Um, You cannot possibly get enough calories running around foraging on plants. You could not have evolved that way. I get there's arguments for veganism that, that people try to make, but... You couldn't have evolved running around eating random plants by instinct. It doesn't happen. You can't. You could if you were conceptual, and you planned agriculture, but we're not allowed to do that right now. You're trying to live as an animal. You can't do it. Humans can't live that way. You can't live automatically. So what you have to do instead, there's a, There's a flip side to this. You're burdened by this choice, but on the flip side, you have uh, a different primary means of survival. You have a reasoning mind. You are a conceptual being. You can use that mind to manipulate the natural world for your own benefit. So you can construct shoes, sew clothes, assemble a bow and arrow, forge a steak knife, and invent a self-lighting barbecue. you can do all of that because of your conceptual faculty. That's how you live as a human. But again, those aren't instinctual, right? You don't just wake up one day with an instinct for thermodynamics, fluid mechanics, metallurgy, mining, electricity, and and just spontaneously build a barbecue in your backyard on instinct. That That's not how that works. Um, to do that, you need concepts for, you know, fabric and clothing and metal and and sewing sewers uh, you need the concept hierarchy that we've talked about. Um, you need to be able to perform unit reduction, right? You can't carry all these concretes in your head. You need to be able to perform unit reduction. All of that stuff we talk about, this con- this this concept hierarchy, all that's your, your conscious faculty. Um, and, and your job, as we've mentioned before, before I move on, your job is to police that factory, or that factory, I don't know why I said factory, police that faculty, police that conceptual hierarchy in your head by making sure it corresponds to reality and that it is internally consistent. That's your job because it's a a representation of reality. And I am gonna go on an old man tangent for a moment because I'm reminded of something. Did you guys see Campus Reform, I think? I think it was them who did an interview the other day. Brilliant, brilliant way to get people to recognize internal conceptual contradictions. It was, I loved it. It was a really good way to get people to recognize that they are holding to contradictory concepts that do not belong together. They're inimical to one another in their same concept hierarchy, and that they don't match. And it does make people feel uncomfortable. And the metal of a man is whether he says, "Eh," and brushes it aside or whether he goes, damn, I need to think about that. And what they did was they went to, I forget what school it was. They went to a school and some college and they uh and they interview people about racial and ethnic diversity quotas in schools should your school have racial and ethnic diversity quotas and everyone at least everyone that they showed i mean i don't you know edited who knows but everyone that they showed on the video was supportive yes we need this we need these quotas are a great idea okay great And they even talked in terms of principles. Well, yes, diversity is very important. Diversity is a principle. I don't know if they use the word principle. And then after these people said all that, uh, then the interviewer said, great. Now, um, shouldn't we apply it to your sports, to your football team, I don't know. know. Shouldn't we apply it to your sports team? I think it was their football team. And you could see, you could see every single person who had said in the past, yeah, this diversity is valuable." value. Every single person, you could see the wheels like just in their brain. You could just see, ah, broken. You could see it in their eyes. Uh, and some of them brushed aside. Some of them, you could see the evasion. By the way, <laughs> you know evasion is the sin of cognition to use the, the Christian uh, phrase, the sin. Evasion is one of the ultimate sins of cognition, right? Those are the bad people. The bad people are the ones who went, saw that and went, I'm not going to think about it. F you, brush it aside, I'm not, stop making me think about this. The better people kind of stopped and went, gee, you have a point. They didn't necessarily agree, but they at least admitted, ah, they needed to think about this. This was a contradiction and they needed to think about it. They hadn't thought about it in that way. The contradiction became apparent to them and it bothered them and they were willing to do some work on it. All right. Uh, anyway, that was that's my aside. Um, all right. Before I move on, I'm going to answer one super chat. I'll fight you naked. It says, I'm happy to hear you're having a new person. It's a thankless job, but so full of pop- possibilities. I don't think it's thankless, but it is full of possibilities. Uh, so you don't get a lot of thanks early on. But you don't do it because you want thanks. That's not that's not a reason to have kids. Uh, you're not you're not s you're not popping out slaves so they can worship you. Um, oh, and also Richard Petz just says, Hi Carter, just tuned in late as usual. Shame on me. I'm watching the show from the start, but I don't want to say hi to you and your soon to be new person. Well, Richard, I'm glad you're tuning in because the, the Bitcoin question at the beginning was yours. So there we go. All right. So you, you needed this concept hierarchy. We've talked about that before. But in addition, you need a method to guide your actions. The concept hierarchy is is important. Those concepts are very important. But now we need to talk about application of those concepts and how you guide your actions. And again, unlike an animal, you are burdened with this fundamental question that haunts you every moment of every day all the time. an animal does not have this burden. You have to answer the question, what do I do right now? If you're living on instinct, you don't have to answer. You just do it, feel like this, do it, done, right? Um, But you have to answer, what do I do right now? You can't live automatically. animals aren't burdened with this. But as I mentioned, you have this great advantage over animals that far outweighs this disadvantage. This is an annoying disadvantage, I guess, but the the reason you have the disadvantage is precisely because you have this hugely powerful weapon. The weapon comes with the (laughs) requirement that it's used, right? It replaces your instincts. It replaces your instincts as the thing you can rely on, but. So it's, it's much, you know, it's much more complex, but it's way more powerful. And that's this conceptual faculty that you have. It's your reasoning mind. So it's in this conceptual faculty that the answer lies. It's, this is where you find your answer. What do I do right now? And there's a concept that's relevant here. This is my shout out to a moral pancake because moral pancake, uh, mentioned this, he offered a useful way to think about long-term planning in terms of the concept of causality. So I wanna shout out. um, Unlike an animal, you are able to understand how your decisions that you do now, things you're doing now affect the future. You, You can plant a seed and water it and tend to the garden and know at least with some level of confidence. If you plant a bunch of seeds, at some percentage of those seeds, if you do these things, will grow. You can plan your decisions, or sorry, you can plan your actions to affect future outcomes. You can understand how your decision to act now affects your life in the future. And that is powerful. Not only can you do that, you must do that. Because your future result that you want to live depends on your current actions. It, you can't, you can't, like I I keep saying, you can't just instinctively be like, oh, I feel like doing this. You you can't do that. You have to plan if you want a result. You must use your cognitive faculty in that way. You can't just act on instinct. You have to pay attention to the future. You have no choice but to pay attention to the future. No choice. Uh, And You know, the Beverly just, Beverly must have showed up because chats are now showing. Oh, there she did show up. Hi, Beverly. Uh, (laughs) So the immediate question arises then. If you say, well, I can, I have to do this, I have to make a choice about what to do now to affect the future. There's an immediate, obvious question the next. What's the next question? I I wish this was an interactive. I wish actually, like, we could do this in real life because it's way better to have this as a conversation Um, and not half of you are five minutes late in the show anyway so you might, even the chat is a little bit slow i think one of the obvious immediate questions is well what do you want in the future what's your goal right because if you want to make a baloney sandwich that's very different than if you want to invent the atomic bomb like those are two different things that you want to do the actions that you take are, are dramatically different um so you have to say well what goal am i wanting to achieve in the future that affects what i do now and I'm going to use an example just for fun because I, I've been I watched this show Cobra Kai because Carrie told me to, which I'm really enjoying. So let's use an example. Now again, I want to point out I'm talking about principles generally. We'll get to like moral principles and, the, and like the broader kind of way that people use the word principle. But right now I'm talking about any kind of principle. Right now. So we're gonna let's talk about Cobra Kai. I don't know if anyone's seen this but if you've watched karate kid you probably know enough to be able to follow this discussion and if you haven't watched cobra kai go watch it it's great <clears throat> let's say you've got a karate tournament in three months and your goal is you want to win that's your goal you want to win your karate tournament okay great now you know at least in this aspect of your life there's other aspects you may also want to you know, pass your math class or whatever. But in this aspect, you've got a goal. You wanna win the karate tournament. Now, presumably you will start studying if you haven't already. I mean, if you started three months out, you're not gonna win, but it's Hollywood world. So presumably you're now gonna study karate. You're gonna start practicing fighting and you're gonna study karate. And you don't approach your study of karate without some basic concepts to start with, right? You don't stand in front of your opponent and randomly gesticulate. And then after a couple minutes, be like, did I hit, did I land any points? And did I do anything illegal or lose any points? Like that's clearly not how it goes. You you come in with concepts. Um, That's, I mean, if that's what you do, you're not even, that's not practicing karate. That's just being spasmonic. So you can't even begin karate without concepts. And that's because you need unit reduction, right? You, you can't possibly comprehend all the things that your muscles and stuff could be doing. You have to think in terms of like, this is a fist. This is how you, this is a, this is a punch. Okay, I'm not going to do it right now, but this is a punch, right? These are these things. There are different types of punches, right? And you you have your concepts that are circumscribed into um, particular movements. So there's offensive things, so kicks and punches and elbows, and there's defensive things. So there's sidesteps and blocks and whatever. Um, but you can't, you know, you, you couldn't possibly, I think it's obvious, you couldn't possibly contemplate all of the millions and millions of possible movements that every muscle in your body could possibly make at any given time. You need to classify them. Like, should I punch? You don't think, should I flex this and then this and then this and then that, and then do it in this way and turn my hips? They're like, that's, you have to, you have to, that's a punch concept done, right? Um, now, and, and of course, within each of those things, you've got, you know a kick isn't just a kick there's a roundhouse and there's a front kick and there's all different kinds of things so now let's assume you practice all your movements and you can execute all of your movements well you can do beautiful side kicks and beautiful roundhouses and back kicks and you know spinning <laughs> spinning roundhouses and all sorts of stuff <clears throat> you're still not going to win the tournament that's not enough why well, just, just like you, can, you can't you can possibly comprehend all of the possible movements you can make with your muscles and analyze each one at any given point, you need those concepts, just like that. You also can't put those movements together and win a fight without some concept related to action and response, right? I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever sparred before, but you, you can't just like, you have to have concepts of, they move this way, I do this, these are counter things, right? You if you can't approach every fight as if it's a new experience you know, for the very first time. Or you can't you can't be like, well, gee, my opponent's starting to pick up his left foot. I wonder what that means. Right? How how would that affect my last, my next move? Mm, gee, how far away is he? I mean, you'll end up with a foot to the face before you even finished your part way through your analysis. You you have to you have to know. These are things that happen in a fight. These are, this is why unexpected things are very uh, effective in fighting, right? Because they're outside of the bounds of expectation and, and you haven't prepped for them. You don't have, sometimes you don't have a, a preconceived concept and, and you don't have a response. This idea, you ever watched that Sherlock Holmes show, which I like, but I, I, I used to. Uh, and I've seen other shows do this. They do this thing where just because he's smart, he's somehow this awesome fighter and the way they explain it, is that they they have these scenes where they'll like stop time right and and he'll look around at his enemies and you'll see all this trigonometry and crap going on on the screen as if he's doing the calculations and if I do this and then do that and put you blah, 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 like, and it will be this complex kind of um, mousetrap situation of uh, or what uh, Rube Goldberg, situation of like I'm gonna smack the guy's hat, it's gonna fall and hit the umbrella which will go in here and poke this guy in the eye and like it's just this kind of like ridiculous calculation and like and then when when time resumes in the show he just executes that and the, the implication is that oh he just you know he sees the situation for the first time thinks through in all of its complexity and achieves this result and obviously that's fantasy that's not how the real world works in any way, it's literally impossible. No one ever could do anything like that ever. It's not possible, right? You need unit reduction. You need to have principles of 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 fighting. So you need to learn some guidelines for your actions. You need to learn some tells that a foot might be coming to your face or some counter moves or or that kind of thing. How should I work in this situation or whatever? Someone says that's Robocop. It may also be Terminator, but we're not We're not the calculating machines. Like we we can't we can only hold a certain number of concepts in our head at once. If you want to build a fantasy robot that can hold infinite concepts in his head at once, then sure. Um, and you have infinite computing processing or processing power, then sure. But um, you know, because reality is complex, it doesn't even stop there. Even in karate, because it's about movement, you build a lot of this a lot of this just gets built into muscle memory. But as you progress in fighting, you learn, even more abstract guidelines so that you can think strategically. You gotta think usually, I mean, you know, unless you're fighting a white belt, you have to think strategically. You can't approach every fight as if it's a brand new thing that you gotta invent strategy for. So you need further concept reduction, or sorry, unit reduction and formation of concepts. Strategies for getting someone to drop their guard, strategies for tiring them out, strategies for intimidating them. I had a sensei once, I, I trained under uh, a woman once actually who was the, I, she was probably almost 40 at the time. I was young. I uh, was in my 20s. She was the, uh, I don't know how many times over in a row in years, but she was the worldwide heavyweight, female heavyweight, bare knuckle fighting champion. Like she was bad. She was badass. She could kick the ass of all the 20 something black belt guys in the class. Um, hefty. Heavyweight woman, um, and she would fuck with people's heads. One of her strategies before a fight, she would she would wink and blow a kiss at the person she was about to fight, just because it fucked with them. Right? This is it was a strategy for intimidation. It was unexpected and weird. Um, so anyway, if you study long enough, you study this this sport long enough, you become an expert. You might discover or develop more fundamental basic generalizations on which other generalizations, some of these other concepts apply. And these are higher level abstractions that guide all your actions related to the subject of karate, right? Um, Now they might not be sufficient. They're not sufficient in and of themselves for solving a particular problem. You still need to know how to perceive the problem correctly. You still need to know how to apply the mechanics of fighting and strategy, Uh, but they do offer this overarching guide a fundamental generalization about all your actions related to this fight related to karate all your actions depend on this and in cobra kai getting back to the show that i like in cobra kai those fundamental generalizations are painted on the wall of the dojo for you they are strike first strike hard no mercy those are the Those are the principles, I'm using that word now, those are the principles of Cobra Kai. Those are the starting points. Those are the guiding principles of Cobra Kai karate. Now, Miyagi-Do has only one principle, which is in conflict with the Cobra Kai principles, thus the drama, uh, which is that karate is for defense only. Obviously, that's a different starting point. That's a different starting point. And there's lots of drama in the show regarding disagreement between parties over these principles um and and actually I think both parties start to question whether those principles are complete and correct in relation to tournaments in relation to real life um, they kind of they ask they kind of start questioning what's the scope of this right so that's part of the drama of the show now we can clearly look at this as an Outsiders, so we can clearly look at the show, and let's say the Cobra Kai principles, uh, and we can say, well, whether or not those principles belong in a dojo, or whether they belong in a tournament only, but not other places, but they're you or know, war, maybe they belong in war, they're clearly not great guidelines for life in general. That's clearly not what they're good for. Did she blow me a kiss, you man? Yeah. And then I got my ass kicked. All right. Um, so we see, we see that you know, those principles clearly, they clearly wouldn't work for life in general. But all principles are some form of an integration. They're an integration of derivative generalizations into a single generalization. And they're of this form. All instances of this type of choice will lead to this kind of effect. All instances of showing no mercy will lead to the victory, okay? All principles, all principles will have a scope, which is the domain in which they apply. This is, and again, as I mentioned, in the case of Cobra Kai, um, two of the issues at the center of the conflict for the characters are, one is what are the proper scope of these principles, right? Um, and then and then on, on top of that it's well to what extent are they even correct in the scope because principles can be wrong right they can be wrong in which case you're not doing karate properly or in or whatever you're not you know, you're not getting the results you want uh, another example here and I, I can't help this one uh, i just i want to talk about it really briefly because I just got um I just got my ham license my ham radio license um and I was reminded of electrical engineering which I, I don't for those of you who don't know I have it have a degree in electric, electrical engineering and device physics and I did some grad work in it but that was all god like, I don't know 25 30 years ago it's <laughs> a long time ago right so uh I'm kind of rusty But I want to point out that uh, principles are not unique to morality or these large generalizations. They're everywhere, and their scopes can be limited. Their domains can be limited. So, uh, in the in the case of electrical engineering principles, uh, <clears throat> they don't they don't appear to be about human action as much because we're talking about natural science, but they are still about human. They do guide our actions with respect to implementation of the science of electrical engineering. And I won't get into this too deep detail because I know people can maybe relate to karate uh, without uh, relating to electrical engineering. It's it's uh, harder to relate to electrical engineering for some people. Judson uh, Pinson says, I got a ham without a license. Well, uh, th- that should end. I'm gonna write a letter to Congress. All right. So, imagine you have a you have a circuit diagram, and um, the circuit diagram uh, got uh, a battery, couple resistors, capacitor, inductor, maybe a, maybe a transistor in it. And th- this is what happens in electrical engineering class. You get it. You, you get these for tests and whatever. Uh, and and you, obviously, when you build real things in real life, there's a reason for this, because you have to do this. So you, you get a circuit diagram. It shows how things are connected. And you're asked to calculate things, like what's the current flowing from the drain on this MOSFET here? What's the voltage across this capacitor? That kind of stuff. doesn't matter if you know what those terms are. you have to perform some calculations based on the flow of electricity. Um, now, if your goal was to build a circuit to pick up a local AM radio station that God knows why you would wanna to listen to AM radio, but let's say um, You wanna to listen to AM radio. You're trying to build a circuit to pick up AM radio. And I plunk down in front of you, you got a box of components. There's wires of all sorts and various capacitors and resistors and inductors and transistors and batteries and diodes and every all this stuff is in there. And let's assume that you already grasp the concepts. You already kind of understand i know what resistance is i know what a resistor is i know what a capacitor is generally i know the values uh, this is measured in ohms that's measured in farads or henrys or whatever but there are no principles of engineering of electrical engineering no one has come up with the principles of electrical engineering uh james clerk maxwell's not around faraday's not around the isn't around gauss isn't around uh <clears throat> Granted, it's hard to have concepts for any of this stuff without those guys, but let's just say they haven't come up with the principles. Well, without those principles of electrical engineering, how do you guide your actions? How do you build a radio? What can you do? Right, there's millions of combinations of components. You could test each possible one, I guess. Uh, but that task seems pretty insurmountable because it is. It's an insurmountable, impossible task. You could cobble together a circuit. It doesn't work. Then what do you do? How do you diagnose it? Without guiding principles, you don't even know what's wrong. What part do you fix? All right. Is it the wrong value resistor? Should the resistor even be there? Do you need a different component? Do you need an extra component? Do you have one X, ex- one too many components? Or are they put together wrong? All right. And by the way, you're probably doing that. You're probably going to destroy some of the components in your box along the way because you don't grasp the grasp the concepts of how those things go together. You're probably gonna blow something out. So there you are, struggling without any, without any concepts, or without any uh, guiding principles for electrical engineering. You understand the concepts, got all the components, fumbling around in the dark, trying to cobble something together. And two people approach from the distance. One of them is John Dewey, pragmatist, instrumentalist philosopher, and the other is James Clerk Maxwell. And you ask the old guy, you ask Maxwell first. They They were contemporaries, but you know Maxwell's older asked the old guy first although he died young doesn't matter yes the old guy he says look ah uh, what do I do and he says well hey coincidentally I have these four basic principles of electromagnetism I think you should check them out they, they might help you man you should check them out I've I've determined these principles uh, can be used to guide the entire field of electrical engineering whenever you're doing anything like this doesn't matter what circuit you want to build these principles always apply cool um you know and so maybe you say to John Dewey hey what do you think and John Dewey says well i don't know you know i don't think principles actually say anything about reality whatsoever and there's no truth or falsehood in anything maxwell is saying that's not how uh that's not that's not how concepts work And of course, Maxwell proves him wrong, right? He's like, "Oh, they do work." He puts the radio together for me using these principles. Suddenly, you know, I'm listening now to NPR or whatever the crap is on AM radio. Um, And you know, you know, let's in in. I guess Dewey's Dewey's forced to admit at that point. Well, you know, I guess sometimes these these things turn out to be useful instruments, but don't go around telling people that you've discovered any kind of truth about reality. Uh, Sorry, guys, I got to run. I'm going to go build the foundation of the American school system. So. In this case, I don't, you know that, that's the end of the, the details there. So in, in this case, there are principles, they are necessary, but their scope is very limited. They're, the scope is, they're the principles of electromagnetism. That's it, that's all they are. Um, and all principles have a scope. All principles have a domain in which they apply. But again, all principles are integrations or derivative generalizations of derivative generalizations into a single generalization. So you have all these generalizations and they're integrated into single generalization. That's what what principles are. Um, And they're all of the form. This type of action leads to this type of effect, right? Um, So for example, you can take Maxwell's equations and if you have two equal resistors, Uh, in parallel in a circuit, you know that they'll split the current between them. Not that you guys care, but but that applies to all resistors. Any current, any parallel configuration, the the resistance will be split by proportionally. Um, And I'm using a specific case because I'm using DC current, but still it's a special case of Maxwell's equations. It's a special case of the principles. So... They work very broadly, generally, they are applicable to everything within their domain. Now let's talk about the necessity of principles generally. Now, as I mentioned, and and, and by the way, I'm gonna i I'm gonna start elevating it to bigger, bigger principles, not I think it's clear we need principles in specific domains unless you guys think I need to do something else I'm, I'm kind of paying attention to chat a little bit so all right you can say the same about water plumbing water plumbing is often used as an analogy to teach new electrical engineers about current flow okay so as I mentioned before principles can be incorrect right so both Koba Kai's principles and Miyagi do's principles for example you could misapply the scope right you could say well these principles are great for war but actually they fail in a tournament. Um, Or they're just plain wrong. Like you could have principles for something that are, you know, the principles of palm reading. Well, that's not a thing. I mean, if it's just entertainment, it is, but if you're expecting to be able to predict your life based on palm reading being like, it's just wrong. The principles are just wrong. You can have, you can have incorrect principles. Now, because you have to pay attention to the future to achieve your goals, because you can't act on instinct. You must have this longer-term view, right? Any goal, radio, building, tournaments, but also your career, your family, right? And because the, the, the cognitive task of considering all possible courses of action And all possible results, things that could happen, things that might happen, things you might do in response to things that could or might happen, things that might happen in response to what you did to something that might or could happen. All that can be taken ad infinitum. The complexity grows exponentially very quickly. And the task, as I've said many times, the task is impossible without unit reduction. We need some way of identifying the essential characteristics of certain kinds of choices that lead when implemented to certain types of results. Because without that, you are lost. You can't analyze the totality of all of the possible options in front of you. You can't function. You couldn't possibly make rational decisions without principles. Every decision would be a crapshoot. Every decision would be a Russian roulette or you'd just be stifled, not able to make a decision. So no one functions without any principles, and I'm gonna use a small p for this, whatever, without any principles whatsoever, no one functions that way. No one, right? Obviously, everyone uses domain-specific principles, electrical engineering or karate, right? And, and a common mistake, actually, is that people don't understand that their principles are domain specific and they try and apply them incorrectly to other aspects of their life and get themselves into all sorts of trouble. But everyone at least uses some domain specific principles because they could not possibly live without them. But as for general principles of action, now we're trying to elevate this a little bit, as for general principles of action, principles with broad scopes uh, that encompass generalizations that apply to living as such life principles that's the descent that's the sense that we need to that like elevate the discussion and talk about those kind of principles and many people most people i think function at best with a haphazard set of ersatz principles false principles most people have a jumbled haphazardly unconsciously chosen set of mostly false or inappropriately applied principles that they attempt to apply to the problem of living as such. And like I said, most of these are most of these are unconsciously obtained through assimilation, right? The culture around you, things people say and do. Now, a lot of these are generalizations that are also either wrong or meaningless, right? And perhaps they're wrong because they were applicable in a specific context, but they don't apply generally. So take the strike first thing, (laughs) literally out of a tournament and into real life, right? Now, strike first actually might be a fine Principle. I don't know if it's a fundamental one, but it might be actually a fine guiding principle for winning in a karate tournament. Maybe strike first is a good idea if the context is win the karate tournament. I don't know. Maybe it's a good idea if the context is you're in a hot war already. There's context in which strike first uh, is, is a fine principle, but you take that out onto the street into real life and you apply it literally, right? Maybe there's also maybe metaphorical aspects of it where you could apply it to life. Right in, in the show, like strike first is metaphorically applied to uh, you know, ask the girl out before someone else does. Mm. Maybe that can metaphorically work. I don't know. Um, but if you apply it literally and you come up to some guy on the street and he gives you an evil eye and you're like, Well, I better strike first because he might fight, you'll get arrested, as you should. Uh, or you could apply no mercy to your marriage and see how that goes <laughs> right Maybe no mercy is a fine thing to do in a hot war with an evil enemy that was intent on your destruction like maybe that is a great principle probably won't help your marriage right Or apply it to your kids <laughs> right I'm the kind of dad who no mercy shows no mercy probably not a great parent. Even the principle, turn the other cheek. Try and apply it universally as a guideline. It won't work. Now, sometimes people miss, uh, you know, the context is is incorrect. Um, just for aphorisms that people use, like absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right, well so what's the do we never see each other then like this it's not a useful it's a there's a context in which that's true there's delimits there's like demarcations around that right the heart growing fonder is that your goal do you want to live a life pining away for someone or do you want to actually be with them so and look the other reason i think that there's some sometimes you see I mean, there's probably multiple reasons but the ones that sprung to mind Another reason you see generalizations that are wrong or meaningless are, um, because a lot of times they're just based on floating abstractions um, that are obtuse and therefore just meaningless. They just sound good. They make you feel warm in your tummy for some stupid reason, right? Be nice. That sounds nice, but it doesn't mean anything, right? Better safe than sorry. Uh, Not all, uh, what? What? Not always. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. What's the context? What are you talking about? That's not a. That's not a principle. That's not a. I mean, you can't be a myth against mask mandates and say better safe than sorry. Like, oh, I and mean, better be, we all better go into living in little bubbles. Better safe than sorry. Curiosity killed the cat. Okay, so we'll never discover anything or take any risks. Like some of the stuff just doesn't make any sense. They're cute little aphorisms that people use at their disposal to justify some emotional impulse they want to do. They're not principles. They're just rationalizations. They're just justifications for something, some an unprincipled action. E and so forth writes, people not profits. Right. By the way, that's also a great example of. Uh, a clear contradiction in someone's uh, concept hierarchy internally right People not profits if you have a concept hierarchy in which you believe people and profits are at odds with one another you are wrong you've made an error in your integration you need to rethink um <laughs> Ty G says curiosity also killed Gary Webb and Seth Rich. <laughs> hmm yeah (laughs) so usually these these kind of ersatz these false principles usually they're in contradiction with one another and um either they are used just to do this emotional justification this rationalization or uh people attempt to resolve the contradictions between them through pragmatism which i should probably do a show on how much i hate pragmatism someday and why it's wrong but Pragmatism is the abandonment of principles. It's the, it's the argument that principles are unnecessary, that you can simply try and see what works. Try I'm gonna try this thing and I'm gonna pragmatically weigh the outcome. And of course, if it fails in, without principles, you have no re, you have no idea how to fix it. You say, well, this thing, this part over here didn't work, so I'll pragmatically try another thing. It's how we do politics today, and it's why we're in the situation we're in. And it's how bad ideas get in. So they they attempt when they find these ersatz principles and they see that there's a contradiction between them, they often just turn to pragmatism. And pragmatism amounts to what do I feel like doing? Absent any guiding principles. All right. I'm gonna try this thing and now it didn't work. What are the there's a bunch of things that could have been the cause or a bunch of ways I could potentially fix it, right? Well, we, we set the price of something as a government and that caused these other problems. So now we need to add another regulation to now we need to do this, like, that's how you get that kind of behavior. Because there was no principle at the beginning, which the principle would have been in this context, the principle would have been, we can't set prices, (laughs) like it's not prices are need to be free market uh, products. So let's get to the definition of principle in this context. I would say, let's put it in a category. The concept of principle belongs to the broader category of a generalization. A principle is a kind of a generalization. That's what it is, but it's not just any generalization. It's distinct from other generalizations in that other general it's a kind of generalization upon which other generalizations depend and it's over a particular domain the principles of electromagnet principles of electrical engineering or whatever or electromagnetism right they're generalizations a bunch of other generalizations depend on those generalizations and they cover the entire scope of a domain so I know we're going long today, but I I think this is important, so. And I enjoy this. I don't know if you guys enjoy it. At least some of you do. Um, All right. So now let's talk about moral principles. I'm not gonna get into, I'm not gonna try and derive moral principles, that's, yeah, I'm not gonna get into what they are, but I'm gonna try and set you down the right path in terms of the domain of moral principles. The scope of where they apply they are broad but they're not all-encompassing they won't help you hold the build a ham radio really um the goal here is not to build a circuit or a karate tournament in terms of moral principles what is the goal why do we talk about morals and philosophy what's the goal well the goal with morals is pretty explicit The goal is life. Life is our standard, right? Like, as I said, an animal doesn't need to set that standard. He functions for his own life automatically, but humans need to set the standard by which they're judging. They need to answer the question, how should I act? And how should I act implies for what purpose? What is the purpose? And fundamentally, the purpose is to live. Now I assume that life is your goal. If you're not interested in living, there's plenty of ways to kill yourself. Enjoy. Don't bother entering the discussion about morals and philosophy cuz the rest of us don't care. We want to live. So humans when you when you talk about morals, it's and you're talking about finding moral principles, it's it's the, the purpose that you're setting, the goal that you're setting is life. That's your goal. The animals don't have to set it. It comes automatically. You do. You can choose death as your purpose if you want. It's not right and, you know, I don't think it will go well. But animals, someone says animals love drugs too. Sure, sure. Right. Animals have their 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 faculty is automatic. They don't have, they're not burdened with this choice, but it doesn't mean that they always automatically make the right choice. They automatically make the choice that the programs to make to support their own life, but you can obviously trick them. You can feed them something that tastes really good that, they've, that they will automatically eat that will kill them. Yes, that's absolutely true. It doesn't mean they'll always succeed, but they never have to make the choice. They never have to make the choice. Now, if you're interested in living the time span, you know, that you, you know, we're talking about, you have to pay attention to the future with principles. If the goal here is not a karate tournament or building a a radio, but the goal is my life, right? I can't just look at the immediate moment. I can't, I can't just look at the next two weeks or two years or two months. I need to look at at a really long time span. I need to look into the future. And then when it comes to morality, the time span is the totality of my life. The whole thing. The long time span. And I don't think there's much of a difference between, you know, decades, like five decades and six decades. You're not going to really make very many different decisions and come to different conclusions. But. It's The totality of your life, the time span is incredibly wrong. It's not a week long, it's not a week, it's not a month. So, if all principles in a particular domain are, as I've said a couple times now, integrations of derivative generalizations into a single generalization, and if they're all in the form of all instances of this type of choice lead to that kind of effect, then moral principles, principles in the domain of morality, where life is the goal, life is the standard, and the time span is the totality of your whole life, then moral principles are antecedent generalizations about what types of choices lead to life-sustaining effects. It's just my formulation that I didn't like. That sentence makes sense to me as I didn't take that from anywhere. I think it, I think it works. There are antecedent generalizations about what types of choices lead to life sustaining effects. There's nothing magical about moral principles in the philosophical or logical sense. They're important because they're vast and they're all encompassing. Their impact on your life is huge, right? Cause the domain here isn't politics or karate or whatever it's life. And they are moral principles are just a particular type of principle applied to that domain, which is why they're why they're vast. Now I'm not going to even pretend to try and derive any principles for life here, but I am going to let's look at an example of what does and does not count as a principle in terms of scope and breadth. This should give you an idea of what I'm talking about, because. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's kind of difficult because they kind of lie between uh, lower level concepts but they're not metaphysical. They're not metaphysical assertions, right? So for example, I, I, eat, I eat eggs for breakfast almost every day. Sometimes I noticed that my wife, who doesn't eat eggs every day for breakfast, Sometimes I notice that my wife will wake up and decide she wants to make something or eat eggs for breakfast or whatever, and she will use the last of the eggs. And I will have to deal with it. I'll have to go, you know, go without or go get eggs or whatever. Now I could, I could de, I could, uh, I could then say, well, I've I've developed the principle principle for life. My principle for life is, always have six extra eggs in the house. Just in case my wife uses the last of the eggs, that's my principle. Always have six eggs extra in the house. But of course, that's not very broad. Uh, It's nowhere near an all-encompassing thing. And that actually is easy to generalize because I can say, well, actually, You know it's it's not just eggs sometimes sometimes she drinks the last of the milk Mm. and worse worse once in a while she eats the last of the bacon which is is horrible right so i could expand this and say okay well i need to expand my principle it's not just eggs it's all food needs to have some extra well actually you know it's not just my wife sometimes my daughter has the last of something too hmm so i need to expand it well okay i'm going to generalize well now it's it's actually i have enough of all the food so that if anything is important to me that's part of my regular routine i need to make sure i have enough of it that anyone in the house my wife or daughter and actually it's not just about eating food right Living with people, if you'll notice, if for the of you who are out of their mom's basement, uh, <laughs> living with people involves things being out of your control. Okay, well, so it's, look, it's actually, it's it's not just eating food, it's a whole bunch of stuff. If I'm going to live with someone, there's going to be things that happen out of my control in the house, and I need to plan for those and make sure that they're not too upsetting, right? If she eats the last of the Doritos, maybe it's not a big deal. But maybe the last of the eggs, if that's all I ever eat for breakfast is a big, I don't know. And of course, it's not just them, it's anyone in the house, as I mentioned. And it turns out, if I generalize more from that, it's not just the house, it's anywhere. Anywhere I am, at work, there's gonna be people who are, you know, do things that I wasn't expecting or don't get things done on time or whatever. I okay, I'm gonna, When I'm dealing with people, it turns out, actually, I have to plan for contingencies. Things aren't always going to be in my control and work out the way I want them. And that's broader. And it's not actually even just people, because that happens in every aspect of nature. Every aspect of dealing with nature. Sometimes things are out of my control and go wrong. And so I can, from all of this, I can step up to a much more broad principle that I could say is more of a life principle. It's much closer to being a life principle. Which would be something like, plan for contingencies. That's a good general principle. It again is it is it a high level moral principle? Probably not. Can probably be subsumed by other things. But it's it's a nice high level principle. Plan for contingencies. Now you're getting close to what's a principle because it's that's so broad. It can go. It can plan for contingencies can mean what if the stock market crashes? What if I get cancer? What if you know, uh, <laughs> what if I? What if the guy crosses the median and hits the car? I should put my seatbelt on. Like, it, plan for contingencies could be what if the Texas secedes? It could be everything. It's all encompassing, and it, it's an, and it's it's a. And you might you might add a thing. Plan for contingencies when when it matters to you when it like affects an important thing. Maybe you don't want to plan for all contingencies all the time. That's exhausting. So you might scope it a little bit more and say, oh, well, these plan for contingencies in cases in where it has a large effect uh, if something goes wrong. But you can't continue reducing it and get to metaphysics. You can't continue reducing it and say, well, I'm just gonna reduce plan for contingencies to uh, effects have causes. Now you're just into, that's just a metaphysical statement, effects have causes. It's true, it's a true metaphysical statement, but it's useless. It's very difficult to, to apply that. So when you're looking for broad principles, what you're looking for, broad principles of life, you're looking for principles as broad as possible while retaining their application to action. If you reduce them to metaphysics, if you reduce your principle to A is A, that doesn't tell you much. It doesn't guide you. What you want, Again, what you can hold in your mind at any given time is a very small set of concepts. You want a relatively small number of principles that you can hold on to that's like, oh, these are some guiding actions. It's not 100 that I have to remember. And it's not one. A is A. It's something I can remember that applies to my actions. It's a smaller set that applies to my actions that are clearly applicable, that are broad enough that I can apply generally. And in a particular case, obviously, I can drill down further if I need to. So, moral principles are these broad life principles that apply, this is just my own uh, definition of this, moral principles are these broad life kind of principles that apply universally to human actions as such, the actions as such, and for which the purpose is achievement of the values required by human life as such, by the nature of human life. Those are moral principles. Again, I'm not going to derive any moral principles here. Um, but let's just take an example of one that you might come to and let's look at it for a minute. Honesty. The honesty is one people cite a lot. And I, I'm when I say honesty, I mean never attempting to gain a value, a value through deceit. That's what I mean when I say honesty. says, is that taurine you're pounding. It is a yerba mate, which is a little bit uh, sad. Bad meds. Yes, I made the decision to have yerba mate. I had no sleep and some other stuff. I needed some caffeine, and I did a cost-benefit analysis. Okay, so let's think of honesty as this moral principle. Now, you might you might arrive at, uh, at honesty um, in a couple of ways. Now, honesty needs to be properly contextualized and defined in order to kind of fully understand what I mean by never att- attempting to gain a value through deceit. The There's more meat that needs to be on that. Let's just look at this idea broadly and however concept you want. It doesn't, it doesn't matter right now. But you might come up with some sort of version of a a concept of honesty as a moral principle in a couple ways you could do it from a top-down way you can go through metaphysics to epistemology into nature of man and and get there or you could go from bottom up from observation you should arrive at the same answer if you go top down you might notice that hey life depends on cognition human life and fidelity—that fidelity to reality, that integrity—is crucial to your cognition. You need to have you need to have cognition that is ruthlessly uh, adherent to reality and fidelity to reality. And you might conclude that fracturing your cognitive integrity by intentionally severing it from reality, which is what you do when you lie, even just a little bit undermines your primary means of survival. And I mean we're not gonna go into how all this, but you, you might then conclude, ultimately actually lying is not gonna be worth it. Honesty is not gonna be worth it. It's, a, it's gonna give you a bad result in the end. Or, which I think is more common for people, you might see a bottom up. And you might say, okay, well, uh, you might simply look around and you might notice, well, when you were on that first date that time and you told her that you liked pineapple pizza, which is obviously a lie. Uh, what did it lead to? Well, first of all, you know, you there was a psychological disconnection there because you didn't feel authentic, right? And then actually it turns out the mis- you had to miserably get pineapple pizza for the next 6, six months cuz you were dating in inauthenticity and she kept buying you pineapple pizza. Um and then when it kind of came out, you kind of got sick of the pineapple pizza or whatever. She figured out you didn't like it. Um, and she suspected you didn't like it. It started to undermine her trust of everything else you said. And you kind of felt fake and she felt you were a little fake. And okay, it wasn't good. These aren't huge results. These aren't huge problems, but it's kind of problematic. You know, and you might look back and say, you know, in retrospect, I just sort of said, I don't like pineapples on my pizza you're welcome to have pineapples on your pizza. We can get half and half pizza. Although pineapples are so toxic that they just contaminate the entire table. But that's a separate issue. Uh, You might look back and say, well, you know, um, that time you lied to your spouse about the one night stand that you had 10 years ago, um, it actually destroyed your marriage and heaped more misery on yourself by trying to keep it for ten years, than it would have if you just came clean. Um, it made your life more miserable. It made her life more miserable, which which would make your life miserable, and and uh, by extension, because no one living with a miserable person is miserable. Um, and because because you you're lying at that point, you're you're constantly trying to keep this secret. It constantly it provides distance. It gives it provides emotional distance. It necessarily provides distance. Um, and also I was talking to Beverly about this the other day. You also have to constantly police your lie. It's like, it takes cognitive resources to constantly police. What if this happens? What do I say about that, blah, 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 blah. You might notice that. You might notice that when you told your friends you voted for Biden, because it was uncomfortable to tell them the truth, you didn't wanna say that you didn't vote for Biden. You felt a little bit more distant um, and alone from your friends. You lost some connection. Your friends started talking more about how great Biden is because they assumed you're on their side. They expected you to chime in. That kind of further isolated you, kind of forced you to either continue to lie and chime in or maybe not and not be part of a conversation and feel kind of awkward and isolated. They eventually maybe suspect that you just didn't really mean it or didn't say it or aren't really on board. They kind of figure out that you lied maybe because you were embarrassed. Maybe they don't. But if they figure out that you lied because you're embarrassed about your, your poor choice, they kind of feel reaffirmed that, you, well, you know, you voted for the other guy, but clearly you felt guilty about it, as you should, right? Um, and you looked at a whole bunch of instances in your life, things that you've done. And you added up all those instances and thousands like them because you watched what other people did, not just your mistakes, but other people's mistakes. And you drew an inductive conclusion. You said, you know what? Actually attempting to gain a value through deceit in the long term doesn't work. It isn't worth it. It's a bad idea. and that leads leads you to conclude maybe honesty is a moral principle. Maybe that's a moral principle. I've not just proven that. I'm just this is a, an outline of how that process might work and how moral principles are connected to this long-term cause and effect view that can guide your life. I do happen to think that honesty is a foundational moral principle, but I haven't shown you that here. I'm just gonna give you a sketch. All right. So I, I know this's been much longer than normal, so I'm gonna draw this to a close. In, in summary here, um, and if you've got questions, please throw them in chat. I've been kind of been paying attention to chat. Um, Gina Ellis, I used to like you but i see now that you like pineapple pizza so uh, i'm not sure we can hang out um anyway in summary here uh, we've identified what principles are as such what a principle is right these these generalizations upon which other generalizations depend and they're and they're in this form of what sets of actions will result in this particular effect these kinds of effects And we've noted the need for moral principles here to guide our life long-term. And just as an aside, I love my asides. uh, Moral principles are antecedents to political principles. right? So you have no business arguing about politics if your moral principles aren't sorted out. Moral principles are antecedent. Before you can ask the question of what should how should society be structured among people assuming there should be a government how should it be structured before you can answer that question you have to know moral principles required for human life you can't answer that question you have nothing to say on the topic of interest if you can't answer the question of moral principles first your political opinions are irrelevant and ignorant you need moral principles first, because the political principles that you would use depend on the moral principles that you come into the conversation with, right? Which is why, if you have a conversation with the psychopathic axe murderer, you're not likely to agree on all the same political issues, unless you're a communist or something, just out to kill people. Now, anyway, we noted this need for moral principles. I'm leaving it to you guys in this extre- extremely long show to, uh, to go now, go off and think about what those principles are. Um, use life, human life as the standard. And when not, not, and I say human life, I don't mean a particular number of humans. I don't mean the majority of people in the city. I mean human life as such. What is required for human life as such? What's required to flourish and survive and thrive as a human? That's your starting point. Over the long term, that's your starting point. What, what guiding principles might you come up with? How would you go about finding those? Um, what would you identify as the fundamental generalizations about what types of choices lead to life-sustaining effects? Right, that's the question. And that's a. I think that's the question that's that needs to be answered, and it's something that I encourage all of you to spend time thinking about. Having a list for me, just like uh, the last show, having a list for me doesn't help you. It's just an arbitrary list. You need to have thought through this. You need to do it. Sorry, there's homework. All right. Uh, I'm taking a minute to look through chat i don't see i don't think there's any other super chats i need to answer uh maybe we should make super chats mandatory no i don't think uh there's any super chats i need to answer i don't think i don't see any big burning questions from the chat uh other than apparently beverly also likes pineapple pizza which i knew but kind of did the, the intellectual sin of evading that fact because i generally like beverly um anyway thank you for suggestions i would like more suggestions more feedback um i people have given me stuff that they want me to talk about in future shows please continue to do that there is more stuff here this is not a this show is kind of Hachi kochi. um, it's a little bit like this way and that way. It's a little bit, uh, we, we talk about whatever every week. It's not a structured three-year course on on, on philosophy, right? Because I haven't structured anything like that. So it's, we kind of talk about whatever you want to talk about and it'll help us think about this stuff. Maybe someday we'll do something more structured, but right now it's just whatever's kind of interesting to you guys. So I do love suggestions and feedback. Um, and, uh, I do wanna remind you subscribing is mandatory. I Next week I had, so I was gonna bring a guest on next week. Um, And the guest I was gonna bring on was Nikki Klein and we were gonna discuss emotional biases and a variety of other topics. The reason I was gonna bring her on uh, to, well, there's a bunch of reasons, but one of the things I like about bringing her on for that particular topic is her existence triggers a lot of you. Like her existence triggers emotional biases in people all the time she could say two plus two is four and people will be like you're a cultist right and they can't listen to what she has to say which i think is very interesting because uh i think that is a mistake and some of what she says is probably wrong uh but it's not because she's anything that you don't like so and she's really good at uh, talking through this stuff so i was gonna bring her on for next week Probably won't do a show next week, guys. Given the the baby situation, probably there will not be a dangerous thoughts next week. If I have time, I'll try and pre record something and throw it out so it can be there. But I'm going to push her to the following week, uh, so we'll we'll probably have her then, and we'll talk about emotional biases. And we are scheduled to have some other people um, in the future. James Lindsay wants to come talk about Marcusa, and so we're we're going to get into a variety of topics, but. Uh, that's what's going on with the show for now. I want to, again, thank everyone who supports the show financially um, and just by liking and subscribing. So, um, so yeah. Special thanks to all of you. Remember to go to unsafespace.com. Stick your email in there if you want to uh, support us and buy merch and all that kind of stuff. Now, before I go, I'm bad uh, at remembering to do this Beverly is there anything else I need to talk about before I end this show is there anything I'm forgetting is there any like we have a show coming up I don't know about maybe maybe tomorrow we have great reset and I'm supposed to push it I don't know um so if there is anything Beverly get your ass into here and say it otherwise uh have a good night everyone I will possibly be around on friday but oh here's beverly you have something to say what do you got? Uh we might have great reset uh, it's kind of up in the air but uh that's it we might have great okay thank you beverly all right we might have great reset you probably heard some echo and reverb there because we... or uh, sorry echo because we i wasn't prepped but yes thank you so anyway i might be i might be back on friday for coffee break but i might not be i almost certainly will not be uh around for dangerous thoughts next week but Love these conversations. Really do appreciate the emails, comments on YouTube, all that stuff. I want to know what you guys want to talk about. And I want to hear your feedback because sometimes people are like, you're wrong, you forgot this, or whatever. That's all really good and it helps us all. So, that said, have a good night, everyone. And I will see you later. (music) Thanks for watching. See you there.
1: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated black lives matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job.